Hi there. This is a quick message to let our listeners know that this podcast is general financial advice only, meaning it is not specific to you, your needs, goals or objectives. So don't act on this information until you've spoken to your professional financial advisor. You'll find our full disclaimer linked to our financial services guide and website in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Invest in the Journey podcast. My name is Taylor Bree Casey and I'm the communications manager at Monroe Partners. In this episode, I am doing a deep dive on the stock Liberty Media with partner and portfolio manager, James Descendant. James, it's February 24th. Do you know what that means? I do. It means that uh, Drive to Survive is out on Netflix, new season. It is indeed. And so I am very, very excited. I think I've told you before, I am a tragic who thinks that they're an expert now that they've watched all the seasons of Drive to Survive. Let's dive right into it. Can you tell me a little bit about Liberty Media uh, and what they do? Yeah, sure. So Liberty Media and the, the arm of Liberty Media that we're talking about today uh, owns Formula One. Um, they also own the Atlanta Braves in a different entity, different uh, ticker code, uh, stock ticker code, um, which is a major league baseball team, very successful team. Um, they also own a stake in Live Nation, which is a um, – they, uh, that actually owns Ticketmaster, manages a whole bunch of artists, owns a whole bunch of stadiums and, and music venues and things like that. So um, a lot of sort of media entertainment type assets. And then going back over the decades, they've had stakes elsewhere. So in cable, um, TV, a lot of movies we've probably both watched, they've they've owned um, the content houses behind, behind them. So um, long sort of multi-decade sort of story. And then, yeah, today uh, really – those two key assets being the Braves and um, and Formula One, which we're obviously talking about now. And how are they able to purchase a sport like Formula One? Yeah, so they bought um, they basically bought the sport off some private equity and um, some private investors, including Bernie Eccleston, obviously. Um, the sort of uh, well, I think he's a cha- chairman emeritus. Uh, so yeah, they 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 bought them off them. So so yeah, a few years ago now, basically improving the sport, like the economics behind the sport now. And can you explain how Liberty Media fit into the F1 ecosystem? Yeah, so so they they own the sport. Um, the FIA uh, administer the sport and then you've got all the teams as well. So they don't own the teams but they own the sport itself. So the rights to the sport, so the TV rights go to them, for example, um, the licensing rights as they put on races, the um, the local government so forth pay them. And so, yeah, they, they share that, that revenue and that profit with – with the teams, basically, and the teams are owned by a range of others. Uh, if you're if you're interested, I can talk about that. Yeah, so let's talk about that more. Are the teams privately or publicly owned? Can you can you invest in the teams? You can't invest in the teams, not directly anyway, or in a pure sense. So, you know, if you look at like Ferrari, Ferrari is obviously owned by the Ferrari Group, but you know, ninety five percent of the sales come from selling cars, not from the Formula One team. Mercedes is similar. Um, obviously, Mercedes is an even bigger company. Um, so the F1's a smaller part and they don't own the whole team. Um, obviously Red Bull, uh, totally different. You know, it's owned by a drinks company. Others are sort of privately owned. But, yeah, you can't invest directly in a pure sense into any of the teams. I think there'd be, you know, be the teams are getting more more profitable. Um, we can obviously talk about that. So there'd be a lot of demand to buy the teams uh, but not, not from a listed company perspective. And really for, uh, Liberty Formula One is really the only – company that we can find listed where they actually own a league which is really attractive relative to actually owning a team in our in our opinions you, you can you can buy teams elsewhere in the listed sense so Manchester United for example is a listed company 
Juventus is a listed company in, in sort of soccer. You can buy Madison Square Gardens, which owns the Rangers and the Knicks in um, ice hockey and um, NBA basketball, respectively. Um, so there's other sort of plays on sort of teams out there and obviously Atlanta Braves. Um, but this is the only one where they actually own the sport. And we think this is really, really attractive um, from a sort of profitability perspective. And seeing as they do own the sport, how have they changed Formula One? Yeah, so they've done quite a number of things. Um, we sort of uh, touched on it at the start um, in terms of I think the biggest thing they've actually done is they've actually done the drive to survive, which I think has been the biggest win for them. They probably owe uh, Netflix quite a few beers for that, I would say. Uh, it's really propelled the popularity of the sport. I mean, they've done other things as well. They've changed the rules to make it a bit more competitive uh, to get more viewers to watch it as opposed to sort of Mercedes winning year after year after year. It gets a bit boring. Beyond that, sort of financially, they've really changed things for the teams as well. So they've put spending caps on, which basically gives you certainty on how much the teams can spend to win. So if you think about like other sports like uh, like the EPL, the English Premier League soccer, you know, Manchester United, for example, has been more financially disciplined on the spending because they're a listed company. In practice, what that's actually meant is that they've fallen down the table over the years, become less successful as a club uh, from a sporting perspective because others have been willing to sp spend a lot more by just basically bringing in players and not worrying about profitability because they're owned by maybe Middle Eastern interests or whatever it might be. When you think about F1, you know, if you're an OEM, i.e. an auto company, um, and you have a team and you have to compete, there's no spending caps. In theory, you have to keep on spending to keep your car competitive relative to others that are just willing to spend more. So that's really unattractive as an investor or from a corporate perspective, thinking about whether you're going to invest and go into a sport. Um, and so by putting these spending caps on, it basically and, – and putting these pools in place where they're sharing profits with the teams, profits from the F1 with the teams – they can basically give a good guidance to the teams as to what they can make every year in sales, but importantly cap what they're actually going to have to spend to compete. I mean, so that's really important from a financial perspective because you can basically see that your profitability is going to be positive um, and so that can attract capital to your sport. And so I don't think it's a surprise that you're seeing people wanting to enter teams now, um, whether it be private equity looking to get into owning a team uh, or other OEMs like, you know, there's talk about Porsche and Audi and so forth coming into the into the sport now, wanting to come back in because they basically know what they're going to have to spend to be competitive or at least, you know, race. Um, and they've got a fairly good idea of what they can get back in sales. So unlike some of those other sort of sports where I, I talked about where, you know, they might be owned by a billionaire or, or you know, I use the, the Middle Eastern um, example with the EPL, you, you just don't know, you know, there's no – there's very few caps on, on spending. And so, you know, if you're going to pay up to compete, you know, it can be a bottomless pit basically. You might be actually negative profitability, even though you make heaps of money through TV and sponsorships and so forth. You know, you end up paying it all out to the players. And so with the caps of spending in Formula One, does that include the driver salaries? It doesn't in, in, in this case. It's basically more for the R&D to go into the cars. You know? mm. yep. So you can imagine, you know, if you want to develop the best engine or something like that, you know, and you're, you're sort of unlimited. If you get another team that's all of a sudden bought out by someone with a lot of money and basically no financial sort of constraints and you got to then compete, that's, that's, that's bad. Um, competition's bad in, in business for the, for the most part because uh, it means your margins go down and, and it's no different with these teams. And when you said they, they changed the rules, I guess it makes it more watchable um, when they're closer races and more enjoyable for, for the end user or the end watcher. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think also having that, that sort of storytelling around the 
drive to survive, you know, it's been able to bring more people in, which I think is the main thing. So, so, so yeah, it's been it's been huge for for them. And you know, we obviously track a lot of the data in terms of like the engagement and so forth, and it's obviously trending very strongly. So, shifting gears slightly, what might be some areas around ESG that Liberty Media will have to consider? Oh yeah, good question. Probably impossible one to completely answer. There's always things that pop up that you know you never thought about. You know, potentially being a, an issue. Um, I think the biggest one with F1 is probably these races in the Middle East. So they've, they've gone, they've followed the money <laughs> to some places with some pretty checkered human rights situations, um, which is unfortunate. But those places are also paying them a lot of money to come. So if I had to guess, I'd say that would be the number one ESG issue. Look, to be fair, I mean, this it, it doesn't just affect companies in mer- working in the emerging markets. It affects companies everywhere. Like just a couple of months ago, like Disney's found themselves into a, in a real big controversy. It actually cost the previous CEO probably his role in the end uh, where they got caught up in some pretty nasty US politics. You know, the company tried to sort of thread the needle <laughs> um, and the, the employees revolted, you know, for not pushing back harder against this um, this Florida governor basically and all the, the creators in Disney basically, you know, said we're not happy with this and, and the, the previous CEO basically lost all the trust of the employees. So it's going to happen anywhere. It happened with the NBA, with um, some players and team officials and so forth, um, you know, talking about China um, and human rights there. Uh, similar thing happened with some of the English clubs as well. They got pulled off the off the air in China. So I think for the most part, like if you've got a good brand and a good product, the, the right thing to do is just to actually just do the right thing and um, and you'll be fine. You'll still get the viewership and, and so forth. So... Um, I think in this case, what they'll probably try to do is they'll use the line that they're going to work with, you know, whether it be the Saudis or the Qataris or whatever it is to like improve conditions, you know, rather than actually they won't criticise them out loud. But, you know, maybe the drivers do. Um, so that's probably a risk as well. Um, they've probably got no or limited control over some of the bigger drivers. Yeah, I think um, Lewis Hamilton's done it, made a bit of a stance um, just recently. Yep. We flirted with the topic a little bit throughout the episode, but let's just dive right into what people really want to hear about. What influence has Drive to Survive had on Formula One? Oh, yeah, it's been huge. I mean, we're, we're tracking, I thought sort of alluded to it, but we're sort of tracking like, you know, YouTube views and like, you know, year to year and, um, you know, download and, and is open market, like driven more of a European sport. And, um, you know, moving uh, into the US is obviously a huge opportunity for them. So I'd say that's probably the number one. Number one thing. What does unlocking a larger US audience mean for the sport? Yeah, good good question. So, yeah, the way these guys make money, i.e. Formula One, make money, Liberty, make money is uh, so they make money through TV rights, they make money through sponsorships, and they get paid to put on races by, you know, local governments or whatever it might be. Um, and so the first thing, ticket so, um, ticket rights, uh, sorry, TV rights, pardon me, um, will go up quite a bit uh, in the US. They were previously only $5 million bucks. ESPN, um, that's a very small amount of money relative to like other sports and what people get paid for TV rights and the popularity, just with popularity alone, the, the rights will go up a long way. Um, so that's pretty important. Obviously off the back of that you get a lot more sponsorship as well in terms of the popularity. And then, you know, they can put on more races in the US. So traditionally they only had one race in the US, which was um, in Texas, um, and now they're moving to three. So last year they started up in Miami for the first time and that went quite well. And then this year, um, they're going to be doing a race in Las Vegas. Um, and so that'll be really, really interesting to watch uh, how that goes. This is actually an interesting one because this is the first time they're taking on risk for the race, for the ticketing. 
Um, so normally what they do, uh, not to get too much in the weeds, but they don't take on the ticketing risk. So, for example, when they come to Australia, um, the Victorian government pays them basically to come into Melbourne. Um, so they pay them about 30 million bucks. The numbers, the, the numbers change wherever you are in the world uh, for what race it is. But they then get that money um, and they don't take in any of the ticketing risk or the sponsorship risk. The Victorian government takes on all that risk. So if there's a terrible recession in Australia and they can't sell the tickets, there's no sponsorship, that's not their problem. Um, it's the Victorian government's problem. They're out of pocket. So what they're doing in Las Vegas is they're actually taking on the risk of ticket sales. Now, I think it's a pretty good bet because the popularity is going through the roof and it's in Las Vegas. Um, and so it's probably a bit of a no-brainer. They can actually make more money this way. So it'll be interesting to see whether they do this more often. Um, and so this, this, this will be really interesting, the third race in the US. Um, and then on top of that, we'll just see, you know, maybe they get a US driver or American driver or an American team. I think that'd be good on top of that. So with the race in Las Vegas, are they are they building a track or where are they racing? It's on the street, actually, yeah. How <laughs> so, cool is that? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we, we actually um, have been speaking, like part of what we do as well is we try to speak to experts um, as well as like the company and the analysts and so forth. And, yeah, we actually have been doing a bit of work on this one because this one is a – it's a risk and also an opportunity. So, yeah, it's really interesting actually to listen to – how they priced the tickets, um, they didn't, they weren't cheap, but they sold them out in 40 minutes. And then like the way they're sort of going after like ancillary opportunities as well um, now. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to watch. So it sounds like Liberty Media have done everything to, to max out or monetize Formula One. What is the long-term investment opportunity for this stock? Yeah. Oh yeah, they have done a lot to monetize it. Um, you know, it's Typically what happens when a really good quality American management team come in, they uh, really they, they don't miss opportunities a lot, to be honest. Um, yeah, so monetizing, yeah, so think about, you know, those TV rights as it grows. Um, you know, there's probably opportunity with those, I just sort of talked about, you know, what they charge where they go around the world. So you gave the example of the Australian Grand Prix, maybe 30 million. You know, it's not publicly available, but if you look at it through press reports and so forth, there's talk that maybe like these Middle Eastern races are going for like 60, 70 million, but the traditional races in Europe might be going for five or 10 million. So you can pretty quickly understand what they're going to try to do here. They're going to try to pivot to these emerging markets or what they call the flyaway races where they just get paid a lot more money to do it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we just talked about some of the risks around that. You know, there are risks around that and obviously they don't want to upset the traditional fans, um, but there's probably opportunity there. And then the last opportunity well, not the last, but one of the big opportunities is just like t- taking more of these races on risk. Uh, it seems like a seems like relatively safe bet to us that they can sell these races out and not not have to basically take that risk off. Oh, sorry, put that risk off to to a local government or something. And if you could go to any Formula One race around the world, which one would it be and why? <laughs> um, well, I'd go to Monaco for obvious reasons. Uh, it's pretty iconic. <laughs> yes, probably if I had to go from a work perspective to do a bit of due diligence, I'd. I'd definitely have to go to Vegas because, um, you know, this is the one where you're going to get this, like, key upside opportunity for, for the earnings of the company. You know, and then we'll see if they can replicate what they're doing in Vegas elsewhere or whether maybe Vegas is just a, a law unto itself. We'll, we'll see. But it could be a big long-term driver, that, that opportunity. And what team colours would you be wearing? Do you have a, t- a favourite team? Well, obviously I followed uh, Ricardo, But obviously he wasn't doing that well last year. So that's a shame. But obviously there's a new Aussie coming through in that team. So I'll stick with... McLaren for now. I do like Hamilton just because I like like the old guy that uh, you know keeps on pushing hard. Um, 
But um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go for McLaren until um, maybe we'll see if Ricardo comes back. I'll, I might move over to his team. James, thank you so much. I hope you have a weekend of watching Drive to Survive. I will definitely be watching. Thank you. <laughs> and we can have a debrief in the kitchen next week. Cool. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if there are any topics or companies you would like a deep dive on, feel free to email us at contact at munropartners.com.au.